podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Uh, there'll be people out there saying, what's this, Friday? Who are you, the Graham Norton Show? Well, no, we're not, as you'll discover <laughs> very shortly. But uh, it's an early release, even earlier than last week, because there's going to be another podcast on Monday when I will be reviewing the new film featuring Ronnie O'Sullivan, the documentary, The Edge of Everything. I've seen it. Uh, the review is embargoed until Monday. So, uh, you know, people make all this fuss about Mark Kermode, but on Monday I will be giving my review. Can't say anything before then, but uh, I have seen it and I'll be reviewing it on Monday. So this podcast, therefore, has been brought forward uh, to today. I the Champion of Champions. Terrific uh, week it's been. I love this tournament. I think that the narrative you get every day of the you know, the two matches and then the winners play each other at night, it's actually quite refreshing. You know, it's it's pretty unique uh, for snooker to have that. And uh, we've had some terrific snooker. We've had some terrific snooker, I think, of the Ding Junhui Zhang Anda match, which was absolutely crazy. Um, Zhang made that incredible clearance. And at that point, he must have thought, well, uh, that clearance of the week is mine. A step in Judd Trump against Sean Murphy, another wonderful match. Um, and another wonderful performance from Trump. It's worth saying, um, I made some rather rash predictions last week uh, about the group winners. On uh, Monday, I went for Mark Selby. He didn't win. <laughs> Tuesday, Luca Brussel. He didn't win. But then Wednesday, John Higgins. He did win. And, of course, uh, on Thursday, Judd Trump also won. So, uh, as Meatloaf didn't say, two out of four ain't bad. I'll take 50% right now. And it promises to be uh, a great final weekend, obviously Mark Allen uh, playing John Higgins and Judd Trump again playing Barry Hawkins for the fourth time this season uh, all terrific ma- uh, players and two great matches to look forward to, the crowds have been good there's been a good feeling about the place obviously Ronnie O'Sullivan withdrew but uh, lots of other players here uh, represented the sport really well and uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been good stuff and uh, we look forward to the denouement and of course on Saturday tomorrow as I record this the UK Championship starts, and we have had uh, quite a few emails from people. I say quite a few, it's not that many, but um, <laughs> we've had emails from people um, giving their thoughts on the UK Championship memories. Please do keep sending them, because that'll be next week, so in about a week's time, just before the televised stage of the UK Championship starts, uh, you can join us um, and, and contribute your memories of the UK Championship. Uh, podcast at mail.com, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Don't think you have to write a long essay. You can write, it can be as long as or as short as you want. Any specific memories you have could be from way back, could be more recently. Uh, please do keep them coming in, and we'll read them out uh, next week. And, uh, and it's worth saying that uh, the qualifiers start as a say on Saturday. Um, now they are live for the of the whole duration on Discovery Plus, and indeed in other territories on Matchroom Live uh, outside Europe. But also the last four days, wherever you are in the world, you can watch free. That's free on the World Snooker Tour YouTube and Facebook pages. So um, we'll have the uh, Monday and Tuesday and then the two judgment days, Wednesday and Thursday, the final qualifying round. I'll be commentating with Phil Yates and Stephen Hallworth. Do join us. We're looking for interaction. We're looking for people to get involved. There'll be competitions for tickets and other prizes. Um, a smorgasbord of snooker uh, coming up. So it's uh, do join us for that because it promises to be very exciting. Of course, it's... The excitement level has been raised a little bit by the announcement this week that any player who makes uh, two maximums in the uh, 
in any of the three Triple Crown tournaments, the UK Championship, Masters and World Championship, will receive a bonus prize of £147,000. And actually, uh, it's, it's well, it's, it's limited to six players. If you made six, which is not going to happen, but if you made six yourself, you would get you would get the lot. Um, I think this is a really interesting idea, and, and it's a, obviously, to an extent, a publicity stunt, but it, it seems quite likely, I think, we'll get one in the UK Championship. Um, there's a lot of frames, a lot of matches. If we do, obviously then, whoever makes it, going forward... Um, to the other tournaments is going to be, you know, imagine they're, they're in sort of six red, six black, six blacks. Well, the excitement is going to be off the scale uh, for them and, and for everyone watching. And the qualifying rounds do count. I, see, I saw a couple of low-ranked players, you know, it's amazing how people just jump in without thinking, oh, well, you know, it's not fair on us, we won't be in the Masters. Well, there's two things about that. One, you could be in the Masters if you get in the top 16. And two, if you're starting the qualifying rounds, you've got more chance because you've got more matches potentially to play more frames. Um, that's a very strange way of looking at things, I think. You know, but t- kind of typical in a way of some of the sort of issues in the game, the, the, the way people don't really think before they speak. And also, a lot of people don't seem to understand how this works. There is not, let's be very clear, there is not £441,000 in a corner that they've decided to spend on this. They're not spending anywhere near this. This will be insured with a bookmaker that won't be spending anywhere near the actual amount they'll be paying out. So it's not a question of, oh, well, we should be spending this on something else. No, it's actually a very smart, savvy move to get some publicity, I think. And and also that people say, oh, well, if there's any money, you should give it to the low-ranked players. Why? <laughs> Why? Go and win matches. You'll earn money. It's not a charity. It's an elite sport. <laughs> I find some of the sort of logic incredible, actually. Uh, anyway, I think it's a good idea, and I'll be uh, very interested if someone makes one. I mean, the Masters is an interesting one, actually, because there's only ever been three in that. <laughs> so the odds aren't great of that being part of it but um, obviously uh, the, the, the UK Championship has had a lot the World Championship has had a lot in fact we had two last year at the Crucible uh, Karen Wilson and Mark Selby so uh, yeah I, I think it's a good idea and uh, it certainly will uh, increase the, the prestige of, of already prestigious events and uh, like I say it will not cost Wilson and Couture anywhere near the amount they'll actually ultimately pay out because they will have insured it um, so we'll be following that with great interest if you can hear any noise in the background, and that's traditional on the podcast, uh, just literally outside my window, Vernon Kay, the Radio 2 disc jockey, has just completed uh, a charity run for Children in Need, the BBC charity. And it fi- it's finished. He's from Bolton. It's finished. We're at the Bolton football ground here, Bolton Wanderers. And uh, he, he's, his leg of the, uh, the last leg of the run has finished at the stadium. And there's a huge crowd outside. They've been there from very early this morning. Um, I think they are dispersing now, but um, it got very excitable earlier. Uh, at first I thought this was going to be the first live recording of the podcast. I thought they all turned up to hear it, but it turned out they hadn't. They, they're here for Vernon Kay. Good luck to him. Um, but if there is any noise in the background, that's what it is. So to the emails. Now, I'm going to read these out in the order they came in, so there won't be any great uh, logic to it. People will be saying, well, what's new? But um, I'm going to read them out in the order they came in. So first up, uh, my, uh, here we go. My name is Constantine, a fan from Greece. Hello, Constantine. Congratulations for doing exceptional work as a journalist and commentator for Snooker. Thank you. You're my favourite with Phil Yates, Alan Angles McManus, Foldsy and Hector Nuns. What a rose gallery that is. <laughs> That's my comment, not his. Uh, he says, I know Steve... Now, he says, I know Steve Davis is first, Ronnie second and Henry third in the order of players with most titles won. What I'd like to know is, what is the number of professional titles that each one has won as of now? I'm not counting amateur, prime and team titles. Well, um... The problem with this, uh, Constantine, and thanks for the email, 
there's no problem. Ranking events are very much defined, and we know that uh, Ronnie's won most of those. Henry second, Steve. Uh, well, he's actually behind John Higgins, but in, in their pecking order, he's third. Um, the invitation titles is a little bit more um, sort of well harder to define, I guess, because some of the tournaments that are called invitation tournaments, you look at them and they're sort of glorified exhibitions. But who decides which is which? That's the problem. If there's snooker played. And a trophy presented at the end, you know, who are we to say? Who's anyone to say that, uh, you know, that it, it sort of doesn't count? So that's the issue, really. Um, it's defining what those tournaments, whether those uh, events are actually tournaments, whether they should be called exhibitions. Um, and there's no real criteria. It's really up to people to decide for themselves. Um, but in terms of your, your question, um, well... I've gone through it. Now, I am actually going to count here team titles and doubles because they are professional titles, So, but I will also do it without that. So all the tournaments won, so that's all ranking events, invitation events, and uh, team events. The way I see it is actually Ronnie O'Sullivan is in third position with 77. Stephen Hendry is in second with 79. And Steve Davis, 94. Now, 94 is a hell of a lot, but of course, pretty much every event played in the 1980s he was in, and he won a lot of them. Um... Now, again, you know, scrutinising them, some people might strike a few off saying, well, that wasn't really a tournament. But the fact is, you know, he got trophies, he got prize money. So a lot of people would count them as tournaments. Ten of those were team events. So if you take off those team events, he's down to 84. Uh, If you take off Stephen Hendry's team events, he's down to 75. And Ronnie, I think, is actually also... Uh, down to 75 so him and Hendry will be tied but this is I mean I look through it other people would look through it and maybe not come to the same conclusions that's what I sort of found in my research Um, but Steve Davis yeah he is still top of the most titles um, which is pretty incredible really because you know there was a lot of snooker played in the 80s but there's far more played now um, it just reminds us really of how, how great a player Steve Davis was but anyway uh, hopefully that, that is some sort of help as I say there's not a definitive answer that's the problem but uh, hopefully that's some sort of help. Uh, now, we've got Philip here, uh, who's writing from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so another American viewer. He says, I've been enjoying your podcast for a while, and now I'm finally sharing some of my thoughts. Read Rants and Rays with you. You're quite welcome, Philip. He says, first, I'm delighted to see Zhang Ander prevailing at the International Championship. While I love seeing my favourite player, Trump, win the English Open... I was gutted that Zhang lost what may be his best chance in a long time to win his maiden, maiden title. And boy, did he come back in style to win this one, with an incredible maximum in the final, which incidentally brings me to my rants and raves. I live in the US, and Matchroom is our only official way to watch live snooker. For some inexplicable reason, the live stream of the final was turned on only after the fourth or fifth frame, and I missed what would have been my first live 147 because of it. In my few months of using this service, this is not the first time they made basic errors like this, and their response to my complaints have always been either silence or some nonsense like trying a different browser. If they truly want to promote snooker around the world, this is not the way to do it. I can tolerate some minor issues, but this might be the last straw to push me towards the less-than-official channels. I just want to watch some snooker, darn it. Yes, I mean, my sympathies there. You know, we, here in the UK and, and Europe, you know, we're kind of spoilt for ways to watch snooker. Uh, I understand it's not so easy in other parts of the world, and not clearly that that stream should have started before, you know, for, for, the, for the start of the final. I do reiterate what I said about the UK Championship, though, that will be live on Facebook and YouTube, so uh, hopefully the, the, there won't be those issues there. Uh, now, second, this is Philip, the new shirts for the Champion of Champions are hideous. The designs are totally over the top and look like what you might expect drivers on monster truck shows to wear. Paul Chris Wakeler and Mink Nutcher are 
didn't even get a nickname design. She was saying, because she's not Mink, it's uh, Bipat, who was in the, the, the Thai lady who was in this. But anyway, uh, they just slapped their names in big letters on the back. Innovating the dress code is fine, but not with this kind of execution. I prefer the more subtle designs from previous editions. I understand that they wanted to di- differentiate the players more with the colours, instead of having them all wearing black, but the colours they used are totally arbitrary. To keep on a positive note, I'm not just complaining. Here's my idea. Instead of focusing on the players' nicknames, which, let's be honest, many are not good at all, rather borrowing from the Tour de France, yellow jersey or martial arts black belt, have the players wear different coloured shirts to signify their achievements in past champion and champions tournaments. Conveniently, we can use the colours of the snooker balls. White shirts for debutants like Chris Wakelin and Jangander. Red shirts, if best finish, is losing in the first round. Uh, there's a Star Trek joke here somewhere. Uh, yellow for quarter-finalists, green for semi-finalists, brown for runner-up, blue for one-time winner, pink for two-time, and finally the elusive black shirt for winning three frames or more, which only Ronnie O'Sullivan... Well, sorry, three times or more, which only Ronnie O'Sullivan would qualify for. For example, in this year's 16 players, there'd be four white shirts, three red, two yellow, two green, four blue, and one black. Looks like a decent spread. Of course, they can still have a small graphic of the player's nickname somewhere, perhaps in a similar fashion as the usual... Uh, where are we? As the usual sponsor patches. So of my ramblings, I look forward to the Champion of Champions. Ugly shirts notwithstanding, hopefully with your excellent commentary, keep up the great work. Thank you, Philip. Um, I mean, I'm kind of on record as saying probably the subject I'm least interested in in snooker is the dress code, actually. I kind of have no thoughts about it. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't mind what they're wearing, really, when they're playing well. I mean, would Judd Trump's clearance have been any better if he were wearing a waistcoat last night? I'm not sure it would. Um, so people have their own opinions. The, the, there's two things about your idea. One is, is that, um, of course, the reason they're wearing these shirts is because it's a commercial opportunity. People can actually buy them. So if you're a Judd Trump fan or a, or a Sean Murphy fan, whatever, you can buy a shirt with their name on it. Um, and that's a new thing. And, and, and I'm sure some snooker fans would love that. Um, and, and I guess with your idea, that's less likely to happen. But also, I have to say, Philip, um, with the coloured uh, with the colours of the balls there, you are pushing us towards the Romford Rap video. Now, the Romford Rap video... For those who haven't seen it, this was the follow-up to the to the um, matchroom uh, single snooker loopy with Chaz and Dave, and uh, it was an expanded uh, stable. who's three more players, and they each dressed in the colour of a snooker ball. Jimmy White was white, obviously. I think Dennis Taylor was was green. Um, I can't remember these. I think Willie Thorne was in pink. Steve was probably black because he you know didn't want to get involved in too much uh, frivolity. But anyway, uh, the romp of that video. Put it this way: if if on what. If up here, right at the top, you've got Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, okay, that's the sort of peak of what a music video can do. The other end of the scale <laughs> is the Romford Rap video, and I don't think anyone needs reminding of that, so uh, th- that could be a drawback to your uh, to your idea. Now, a quick one from Phil here. He says, a quick and irrelevant observation, but I've noticed that quite often when a player escapes from a snooker, they flute one back. I've just seen another example of this during the Allen and Carter match in the Champion of Champions. I know there'll always be a chance of this occurring, but I think the times it happens is proportionately higher than what might be expected. I hope this vaguely makes sense. Have you noticed this phenomenon too? It does happen, Phil. Um, I suppose... Here's the thing, OK? So, let's say you're on the last red um, and you're in a snooker. There's actually lots of points on the table where the cue ball could finish where you would actually be in another snooker. There's, there's six balls, aren't there, there to be snooker behind, the six colours. So, I suppose on that basis... It's maybe not that unlikely, really. It's lucky, yes, but, you know, it, 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 they are just balls running around a table, ultimately. Um, in terms of how many times it happens, you know, we'd need to commission a study, and let's be honest, 
there ain't enough time in the in the day for that. But uh, it's it it does happen, and, and of course it can be very significant. Um, you know, you lay a good snook, you think right, I've got him, and then all of a sudden you're in one yourself, and it can be uh, you know that little bit of running, as we know, does does make a difference. But uh, yes, it, it it happens a lot. You're right. Kerry Richards, although it feels very unlikely, are you aware of anyone? I'm guessing it can only be some sort of World Snooker Tour employee who was present on the Sunday for the International Open Final in Tianjin and was also present sometime on the Monday in the arena in Bolton for the opening day of the Champion of Champions. The time difference in its favour just makes me wonder, did someone manage it? Uh, I don't think so, no. Um, I mean, obviously the players, um, you know, <laughs> some of the players like Zhang Andrew and Ding were actually flying back uh, on the Monday itself. They played on the Wednesday. But uh, no, one of the reasons actually... Kerry, is that this was a matchroom event, so the um, a lot of the staff who you normally see, the Wilson Tour staff, just aren't here because um, it's not their tournament. So, uh, but uh, I don't think anyone, no, I mean, I don't think anyone was, was in China on Sunday and here on Monday is the answer. Uh, Matt Callahan, he says, first time sender, long time listener, a quick question, is the felt on the table in China a different shade of green? It looks... Now, this is a new word for me. It looks Camus Saki green on my TV. Very bright. Watching the Champion of Champions currently and dark green. If you can shed some light, I would be appreciated. It would be appreciated. Shed some light, maybe a pun there, or maybe, uh, anyway, deliberate. But, um, well, no, the cloth, it's the same cloth. It'll be the lighting. I think it'll be the TV lighting, maybe, was different in China. It seemed actually, it did seem quite bright. Um, it's supposed to be bright, of course. <laughs> maybe a bit brighter than in the UK, I don't know. There's different grades of it, I'm sure. But um, the, the cloth, it's the same cloth, um, as far as I'm aware, anyway. Um, you know, it's green bays and all that. So uh, I, I don't think the, the, the actual shade of green was any different. I think it's probably just the, the lighting. And, and also, potentially, um, the, the TV transmission, the TV pictures from China may be slightly distorted the way it looked. That's, that's possible, through satellite and all the rest of it. Um, but as far as I'm aware, it's the same, it's the same colour. I wanted to read uh, Lars... Johansson's uh, email here about the UK Championship, but actually will explain why uh, I'm reading this now rather than next week. It says, Hey Dave, good evening from Atlin, BC, Canada. Not so long time listener, but digging through the archives of first time mailer. While I do not have any past memories of the UK Championship, I will in about three weeks' time. For once in a lifetime experience, I'm travelling to York from remote northern Canada in just under two weeks' time. I'm so excited. I can barely contain myself. I have tickets to four days, November 29, 30, December the 1st and the 3rd, including the quarterfinals and the final. I'm a long-time fan of the game of snooker, but a new arrival to podcasts. I've been binging uh, snooker podcasts deeply for the last six months or so, catching up on your archive and a few others. Thanks for a great podcast. I really enjoy your to-the-point analysis and your understanding of the game and the surrounding circus that is World Snooker Tour. <laughs> Further, there are so many names I've heard for decades as commentators on Eurosport. Yours is one of them, so it's great to see you're doing a podcast. And also great that I have a big archive to get through. Anyway, I wanted to send a line, even though I've got no past UK Championship memories as of yet, I will share mine in a few weeks. I hope to have a glorious story of how Mark Selby beats insert any name here in the final. I cannot wait to watch it all unfold live. Cheers, Lars. Well, what about that? Thank you, Lars. That's fantastic to hear that you're making the trip. You will enjoy it. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that, even if Mark Selby's not in the final. Uh, York, you'll find, is a lovely city. That's People always say that. So that makes a difference where you are. And obviously the snooker uh, will look after itself. So, um, yes, do, I hope, hope to bump into you. I'll be there myself. So um, let me know uh, where you are. And I hope to see you there because it's great uh, that you're making what sounds like a long trip uh, to come and watch uh, what will be a great tournament. Kerry Richards has written again. Here we go. Twice in a week. 
He says, uh, I was watching last night's Hawkins-Milkins match in the Champion of Champions while also enjoying your commentary and noted your point that despite the lame, his lame exit, that's not my words, but anyway, uh, Milkins would be pocketing £17,500 of prize money. Not bad for a day's work. It got me thinking how such money is paid. A few questions. Number one, is the sum as advertised or are there any pre-tax deductions? When does the player receive the money? Is it immediately after exiting the tournament, once the tournament has ended, or at a later date and rolled in with other tour earnings, i.e. monthly or quarterly? Point two, I was thinking specifically of a low-ranked player who performs unexpectedly well in one tournament and who may be struggling financially and quite possibly in need of a cash injection, someone like Lu Hongyu as the runner-up in this season's English Open. Well, he was called a semi-finalist, wasn't he? Uh, 17,500. Uh, anyway, he says, thanks for the podcast. So glad the hiatus was only a few weeks. Well, thank you, Kerry. Yes, um, well, the, the deduction for the prize money is actually 2.5% um, which goes back to the WPBSA. So if you earn, uh, let's keep it simple, because <laughs> math isn't my strong point, but if you earn um, £100,000, then 2500 of that goes back to the WPBSA. Uh, then, so you take away your 97500 then that is, they are earnings that you have to declare to the uh, income tax, so you will pay a tax on that. Um, so it's up to the players to, to do that. Um, but that's kind of how it works. In terms of when they receive it, I think it might be different potentially for, for different tournaments, but I know that, that there have been issues some way in the past, hopefully a long time in the past, in terms of getting paid. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the window is or whether it's the same for every tournament, but um, they, uh, I suspect it's a few weeks, like, like most, if you're a freelance, you know, you, you, it's a sort of 30 days, isn't it? So you would hope it would be similar. Um, and yeah, of course, the cash injection you mentioned, but of course the players can apply now for the 20000 up front. So if you're a new player, you apply for the 20000 up front, and then if you earn you know, more than that in, in, in prize money, um, obviously all is good, but uh, you can keep the 20000 either way. So um, it's a kind of initiative to help in some way with, with lower-ranked players, and, and also the obviously the expenses um, can, can toss up for overseas players, non-British players. Um, so that's, that is an initiative that has, I think, been been quite helpful. Now we move on to uh, James Scott, who says, uh, All the best emails start with a cliché, so I'd like to begin with my own. I'm a long-time listener and first-time correspondent. As I write this email, it's the morning after the night before. Judd has just beaten Sean Murphy to set up a semi-final with Barry Hawkins. In the Champion Champions, of course. It seems like Judd and Barry faced each other at the latter stages of every other tournament this season. So my question is, which players have played against each other the most times in a single season? Well, James, uh, I don't specifically know the answer to this, and the reason for that is, obviously, with tournaments like the Championship League, um, you can get a lot of um, you know meetings between players that are you know that are sort of a little bit below the radar. But I think the pertinent answer to that, you say latter stages. If you go back to the 1981-82 season, Steve Davis and Terry Griffiths played each other in five major finals that season. <laughs> Uh, Steve won three and Terry won two. And the expectation was, because they were in different halves of the draw at the Crucible, that they would play each other in the World Championship final. Of course, Steve lost to Tony Knowles in the first round. Terry Griffiths lost to Woody Thorne. Um, and Alex Higgins beat Ray Reardon in the final. Um, so it didn't happen. But that season, uh, five of the finals, and there weren't you know that many tournaments, um, was, was uh, Davis v Griffiths. Just on a tangent, I, I mentioned there Ray Reardon. Um, 91 years of age, and just yesterday we got a few messages verifying this at the St Anne's Snooker Club in Torquay. Ray Reardon, at the age of 91, 
made 100 break. <laughs> On what was reported to be a tight table as well. That's, that's what they said. It was a tough table. That's incredible and, and great to know, lovely to know um, that Ray's still playing snooker and still playing it to that level. Quite incredible, actually. So well done to him. He actually won the very first iteration of the Champion of Champions back in 1978. James continues, My second question relates to China. I'll be travelling to Beijing in December. Do you or any of the listeners have any recommendations for any snooker-related sightseeing activities over there? Thank you for the excellent podcast and your outstanding commentary. Thank you, James. Very kind. Uh, I've not been to Beijing for a number of years, so I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. I mean, they do have... I think that large academy there, whether I'm not quite sure if you can just sort of walk in and, and look round, I don't know. But anyone, we have a lot of listeners who will, will know better than me, certainly. So anyone who can think of anywhere snooker related in Beijing to go, do, uh, do let James know, do let me know and I'll, I'll pass it. I'm pretty sure that the Chinese Brazilian Snooker Association do have an academy there, but I don't, as I say, I don't know if it's just open to anybody to walk in, I don't know. But um, that, that's certainly... And also, also Beijing's a, a large place. I couldn't tell you exactly where it's based. But as I say, there will be people who know these things. Finally, this week, uh, Mark Williams, but not that one. He says, as usual, thanks to you and all the rest of the snooker team for keeping us informed with your great commentary. I really do enjoy the ITV snooker coverage. Well, thank you, Mark. Good to have you watching. After laugh today, Thursday the 16th of November, Phil Yates' great comment during the Sean Murphy-Gary Wilson match. Uh, he made a hash of that also, after Gary ploughed the white into a red. What a great line. This led me to trawl through old snooker clips, such as Jack Carnham's good luck mate and Ted Lowe's no, when Steve Davis missed the black. Apologies, we've already covered this on the podcast. But do you have a personal favourite, or can you name a few gems set in, snoop- in the snooker commentary world? Neil Folds must have a few in there, as must Clive Everton. The incident between him and Dennis Taylor is a classic story. Um, well, it's interesting, actually, Mark, I mean... I was thinking about this in, in, in sort of all sport now. Commentary, sort of memorable commentary lines are less, maybe less of a thing now, purely because there's so much of it. <laughs> there's so much sport. There's, you hear so much across different platforms and channels and streaming services and all, everything. It's quite hard to, to say something that's going to stand out because it's just so much of it. Um, but, uh, I mean, Clive, he, he had uh, that Jimmy White century in the 80s, um, Warning genius at work. Um, Snooker from the Gods was one of his when um, the, the Henry O'Sullivan a classic third session of their semi final in 1999. Ted Lowe, he, he, he came up with a lovely phrase. Um, I think it was 87 when Steve Davis won what would have been his fourth world title. He said, uh, Steve Davis has added to his tapestry of titles, which is wonderfully alliterative. Um, and Jack Carnham actually. Um, when Alex Higgins won that incredible semi-final with Jimmy White in 1982, he said, I can't remember exactly, but it was something like, and now the people's player has a chance to truly become the people's champion. Oh, that's a, that's a nice turn of phrase. Um, and there have been many others, but uh, as I say, in more recent times, it's kind of harder. I mean, we all do our best, <laughs> but it's kind of harder to, to sort of... Um, say anything that people are going to be talking about the next day just because quite obviously well unless you make a mess of it more likely if you make a mess of it people will be talking about it but just recently i mean british open final uh, mark williams as he was clearing up to, to beat mark selby alan McManus said where there's a willow there's a way which i thought was a wonderful um way of just summing up you know the, sort of the, the essence of mark and, and and what he'd achieved go back down to the go back to the lockdown world championship in 2020 dave farrow who's working for the bbc in that uh, Karen Wilson, Andrew McGill, um, incredible designing frame, 
said, this is great drama from the BBC, which was, is a, was a sort of marketing phrase that they used, the BBC used for their drama shows. Dave, by the way, I keep seeing Dave down at Eurosport, he keeps threatening to send an email about Perry Manns. And if you're listening, Dave, you've not sent it yet. <laughs> Be pressing refresh uh, on the hour, virtually. So uh, looking forward to that. I must admit, I do like, I do enjoy a nice turn of phrase in commentary and just on another sport. And I don't think anyone else remembers this, but it, it, it kind of is the sort of thing I like. Prue McMillan, who was uh, for a long time a, a tennis commentator at Eurosport, was sort of commentating on... Well, he was talking about the difference between Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer and talking about Nadal, very sweaty man, you know, very covered in sweat from very early on, very physical tennis player. And he said, Prue McMillan said... Uh, of course, Roger Federer doesn't sweat. And even if he did, we wouldn't call it sweat. We'd call it perspiration, which I just thought we kind of summed up the, the elegance and the sort of almost grandeur of, of Federer um, compared to the very different, very equally brilliant player in Nadal. But so that's the sort of thing I enjoy. Cricket's great for it, of course. Cricket is, uh, I mean, poets, people like John Arlott have commentated on cricket. And Richie Benno, of course, was a great commentator. And they have some fantastic ones now. Um, well, I suppose... Over to the audience. Do people out there have uh, any favourite lines of commentary? Um, John Pullman, of course, uh, in, in Steve Davis's Maximum, you can see the pockets closing up and closing up and getting smaller. Um, there have been a few, but as I say, in recent times, because there's so much commentary, it's harder to stand out, I think. Um, we all just try and, uh, well, we try and do our best. And actually on that, even though no one's written in about this, I'm going to defend Stephen Hendry. Um, he was got criticism this week because he said he'd never seen... Bypat, women's world champion play. Um, I thought that the, the, the sort of the way that became a news story was ridiculous, really. Um, you know, Bypat had never played on television. <laughs> that was her first TV match. She played obviously in the women's world final itself, which was streamed. She played sort of quite low key qualifiers that were streamed. Um, I'm not quite sure why people think Stephen Hendry should have been watching any of those. Um, now it's true, obviously you can. Absolutely, find footage on YouTube. Look at the players beforehand. But he was just answering honestly. And and what annoyed me was the way it was. Jill Douglas, who's the presenter at ITV, was sort of dragged into it as if she was a poor bite. She wasn't at all. It was all kind of <laughs> very light-hearted, really. Um, I didn't like the pylon. Really, people can have their own opinions about what research commentator could do. Obviously, but I didn't like the, the way it kind of became almost a sort of vendetta against Stephen Hendry, who has contributed more to snooker in the last week than most people have in a lifetime. Um, and he was just being honest, I haven't seen her. He's not like, if it had been Liam Highfield or someone, or someone on the tour who's been there a long time, that's different. But it's a new player, never played on TV, and it wasn't that surprising, really, to me that he hadn't seen I hadn't seen much of her myself. I'd seen bits here and there, bits of the world final, and the odd bit of qualifying. But I wouldn't say I'd watched that much of her. I don't think anybody had. Um, so I just thought it, I didn't it kind of is what annoys me about modern journalism someone puts something on Twitter a journalist somewhere in an office sees it and makes a news story out of it by quoting replies on Twitter you know oh Bob in Doncaster says this is a disgrace so what who cares what Bob in Doncaster thinks you might as well get down a Weatherspoons with a tape recorder who cares <laughs> That's, Bob, in, Bob in Doncaster's opinion on this is not a news story it might matter to Bob it doesn't matter to anybody else. Um, so I thought that was a bit of a non-issue, really. And, of course, I know Sean Murphy did weigh in on his podcast, so it became a legitimate news story then, obviously, because there's two members, effectively the same commentary team at the BBC there, um, 
so then, he, yes, obviously, if Sean says something, it becomes a legitimate story. But I just thought Stephen kind of got it in the neck, really, a little unfairly. Um, that was my opinion. I'm not just saying that because I'm working with him here. That's what I think. Um, and I always say what I think on here. Um, you know, like I say, it's different. If if someone's played at the Crucible and you've not seen them play, then there's not really any excuse for that. But this this is, with all due respect to Bypat, quite an obscure player, a new player, um, and hasn't actually been that much opportunity to watch her, really. So I don't really, I don't really think it was worth the sort of the ballyhoo that it got. Um, and I would listen to Stephen's analysis and, in, and insight into snooker over most other people in the world. <laughs> he would be literally, you know, on a, on a very short list of people I'd like to listen to above most people. Anyway, that's it. As I said, I'll be back on Monday um, to review the Ronnie of Sullivan film, The Age of Everything. It is available in cinemas on Monday night, with, and there'll be a Q and A with Ronnie. And David Beckham, that's hosted by Alistair Campbell, Tony Blair's former press secretary. Um, I think uh, Stephen and Jimmy are actually going. Jimmy White are going to the premiere as well. So that's available in cinemas, and then it's available on Amazon Prime from Thursday next week. Uh, it's a couple of hours, and like I said, I can't say anything about it now because the, the review is embargoed until Monday, but I will be back with, uh, with my own thoughts on uh, that film on Monday. In the meantime, we're met proud members of the Sports Social Network, um, do check their other podcasts and uh, you can email us snookersinpodcast at mail.com snookersinpodcast at mail.com the UK Championship starts tomorrow I'll leave you with this thought ok Ronnie O'Sullivan won his first UK Championship 30 years ago 1993 we are now as far away from Ronnie winning his first UK title as that was from the JFK assassination see you next week goodbye bye Sports Social Podcast Network.